DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you once again for joining me. It is so good to be with you. Thanks for putting together the series and this conversation. I, I'm very excited about it. It's such beautiful material that we're looking at together, and I really look forward to our conversation today. Before we go into chapter two of the First Mansions, I'm so struck that Teresa of Avila truly does exhibit a charism of wisdom. I mean, wisdom mm. is an extraordinary gift, isn't it? It is. You know, there there are different kinds of wisdom. One is the wisdom of theological learning, and she has that because she was not afraid to talk to all the great scholars of her time and test her opinions against the theological understanding that they had. And whenever she engaged them, two things would happen. She had always learned from them, but also they would learn from her. And so there's several theologians who started a deeper practice, more intense practice of mental prayer because they encountered Teresa of Avila. This is especially true at this stage of her life when she's writing Interior Castle. The, the second kind of wisdom that Teresa of Avila oozes with is just practical wisdom, a practical wisdom of human nature and of life. She gets what it means to live in the real world, and she's not Pollyanna about that. She doesn't have rose-colored glasses. She sees reality for what it is. She's going to call, we're going to see today's chapter, she calls sin, sin. Um, and she's going to talk about the importance of knowing yourself. Well, that's, that's a certain kind of wisdom. But probably the most important kind of wisdom that also comes through, especially the passages that we'll be looking at today, is the wisdom that we call mystical wisdom. And mystical wisdom is an awareness of the presence of God a living awareness of it that kind of unfolds in our soul. Uh, some people think that knowledge of God or, or faith is kind of this on and off switch, but it's actually something that can grow or decrease in intensity and in extension. And today she, uh, she wants to turn up the intensity of this wisdom in our hearts, she's going to try to draw us deeper into the presence of God, the beauty of his radiance. But she does this today by introducing a conversation that is a tough one to have, but we need to have it, a conversation about sin. Yeah, it is interesting that in the beginning of her writing, The Interior Castle, she acknowledges that to her sisters, while many of you may feel you are much further advanced 
that she expresses the need for her, I need to go back and lay down basic foundations, understandings. And she's not saying that the sisters aren't where they're at, but she's saying, make sure you check yourself at the very beginning. Make sure you are able to understand and see what she's going to present in those early foundational elements. Does that make sense? Yes. And again, in the very first chambers, remember we're walking into a castle. The castle is at once the the beauty of the soul, but there's another way in which the castle is the mystery of God, and not that the soul and God are the same. They're totally different, but God has fashioned the soul in the image and likeness of his mystery, and his mystery is inexhaustible in its depth and height and resplendent. Well, something of that inexhaustibility and resplendence of God is reflected in in the soul. So as, as we journey, as we enter deeply into ourselves to search for the presence of God, we're going to encounter flashes of light and brilliance that will draw our hearts and make us want to pray more. We have to start with the fundamentals. And the fundamental that she's going to drill home today is that we need to reject sin. Boy, she really does. She puts a a stopper right there. She describes it as the beautiful, magnificent castle, the pearl of the east, the tree of life. You want to go there. And then she slams on the brake. She says, but wait a minute. There's nothing so dark, no gloom, nor blackness can compare to its obscurity. And that's when it's snuffed out by sin. And so here she gets to something I think is a huge temptation that anyone who begins the spiritual life has to contend with. And that is we're afraid that if we give everything to God, if we really renounce our own proclivities towards things that we want on our own terms and the way we want them without regard for others and without regard to God's plan, that somehow we can have that and have God at the same time if we're just clever enough. Somehow we can live a life compromised with sin. If we just use enough industry and cleverness, God will let us get by with it. And what she's saying already in the very first sentences of chapter 2, the first rooms of the interior castles, she's saying that to choose to do that is to choose to live in utter darkness. Later on, she'll say, you know, at this stage of the game, you don't even know it, but you're deaf and dumb. Or if you want a more striking image than this, there was a movie, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the name of the movie now, but in the movie, there's a little boy who sees ghosts and you don't realize until well into the movie that the main character who's talking to this little boy who sees ghosts, the main character is a ghost too. And mm-hmm. and the little boy kind of knows it. And all of a sudden you're like, boy, that boy's kind of courageous. He's helping this poor soul realize the truth about who he is. That the soul itself did not know that it was dead. Well, this is what happens to us when we're in mortal sin. Without God's help, without his grace, we're, we're dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't even know it. Do you know this movie? The Sixth Sense. Yes, I know. I committed a sin of sorts when I told my husband the ending before he had gotten there. And boy, was he angry. (laughs) Which that speaks of something, you know, it's interesting because I revealed to Bruce the ending before he got to it. 
I kind of pushed him before it was meant to be realized. And mm. that felt like a violation. And I think that is something that we have to keep in mind too, that sometimes God is very tender with us. He is going to help us to come to see in a way that doesn't violate or cause us to respond that would be counter to virtue. I mean, once we see this, I mean, sometimes sin can compound sin, can it? Yes. And so God's way of helping us see the plight we're in is uh, he's not in the spirit of the accuser. Satan, the evil one, is the accuser of the brethren. And the accuser of the brethren tells you what you're doing wrong just to tear you down, just to humiliate you. And for no other reason than foster shame and guilt and to silence you. In our culture right now, there's, and I suppose this has always gone on, but it seems to be particularly heightened, where we keep on hearing about people in the political world and our leaders and so forth always getting accused of things. And sometimes they really did the things they were accused of, but sometimes they didn't. Whether they did or didn't do the things, the spirit of accusation is not to help the soul come to repentance or bring healing in our national debate. The spirit of the accusation, whoever's getting accused, is to shame them into silence. This is what how the evil one works, but it's not the way God works. When we're in sin, God is going very gently, but very firmly, invite us to come home, invite us back into the light, invite us out of the darkness. He's going to very, very patiently encourage us to let go of the thing that has caused our sin. Until we do, we're dead. The first thing he's got to do in order to help us come back to life is say, you know, as long as you hold on to this, you're dead. You have no life in you. Let go of this and cling to me. I am the fullness of life. If you hear that voice, then you begin to get what Teresa of Avila is inviting us to consider in this chapter too. I think a statement that can be said about Teresa, she has a very healthy appreciation of the activity of the devil, but she will also see the perspective that there's something worse than the devil Mm -hmm. and that's sin, because that's what we choose by listening to the temptation of the devil. Yep. And that's why she's going to deal more with the devil in the next set of mansions. But the first thing, when you first are trying to enter into the the castle, the first thing that you got to deal with is sin itself. Because of sin, we don't really know ourselves very well. We lack humility and we lack the fear of the Lord that allows us to come into his presence. Uh, and so this chapter unfolds how the beginning of our journey, we need a fear of the Lord that inclines us towards a humility, not a beating up of ourselves, but a humility by which we can come to a genuine and real self-knowledge. This self-knowledge, she, she calls it honey, and our humility is the way we make the honey, but you can't have humility without fear of the Lord. But before we can even get there, one of the things fear of the Lord does when you receive this gift. And so if you're struggling with sin, if anyone's struggling with sin right now, the first thing to beg God for is fear of the Lord. 
This fear will help you let go of your sin. And we'll talk about this, but just to stress her point here, why sin is so bad. While in a state like this, the soul will find profit in nothing. And hence, being as it is in mortal sin, none of the good works it may do will be of any avail to win it glory. For they will not have their origin in that first principle, which is God, through whom alone our virtue is true virtue. This soul has separated itself from him. It cannot be pleasing in his eyes, for, after all, the intention of a person who commits a mortal sin is not to please him, but to give pleasure to the devil. And so the devil is darkness itself, and the soul becomes darkness itself likewise. Here's the thing. This dispels the lie that we can have it both ways, that we can live one foot in one world and another foot in the other. we got to be all or nothing because if we compromise with evil at all, we've totally chosen the banner of evil. We've chosen the darkness. That darkness always encroaches on the light and always has mixture. The light, the resplendence, the radiance of God's glory, it calls for purification. It calls for conversion. We become aware of sin. We remain in the light as we reject the sin and we step into the truth. But at the moment that we think we can have a little bit of light and a little bit of darkness, Teresa here is saying, we've chosen the darkness. And this beautiful gem of our soul, which is meant to be resplendent with the honor and glory of God, the Im- his image and likeness shining forth in this world. Instead, our soul becomes so dark, it actually, she doesn't use this language, but it's like what scientists tell us are black holes in space. It, it actually draws light it, uh, away. It's, it's blacker than black, she describes it as. And the reason why is because we're not serving God anymore. We put ourselves under the control of another being who hates God, who hates truth, who hates life, who doesn't want us to shine. So we're in a spiritual battle, and the spiritual battle uh, in, involves Satan, but the essence of the battle is actually, do we want to choose the truth of God or do we want to live by sin? If we're struggling with this, the counsel of Teresa of Avila is going to be, ask for the gift of fear of the Lord. With that gift, your struggle with sin becomes much easier. If you do not have fear of the Lord, your struggle with sin is always going to be more difficult. You will always live with the illusion, really, the delusion that you can have it both ways. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. 
A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Anthony, I think for many of us, there is a part of this big giant I don't, it's kind of a gross way of describing it, but it's a spitball. We really don't understand what mortal sin is. We think we might, but we hear it's different over here and somebody will describe it as something different over there. And Can you help us at least from Teresa's perspective, but maybe from a, a perspective that I, you know, I wouldn't knowingly choose mortal sin and yet I did. Can you help sort that out? Sure. On this, Teresa gives us this powerful line. She says, When the soul, through its own fault, leaves the spring, this, the spring of life, and becomes rooted in a pool of pitch black, evil smelling water, it produces nothing but misery and filth. And so when we talk about the mystery of mortal sin, we're talking about a decision to root ourselves in something other than God as the source of our life. And we do this, there's characteristics of this. It, we do this when it's a grave matter, and we do it when we have some understanding of what we're doing, and we freely choose to do it anyway. So it's grave. We understand it, to, at least to some degree. We freely choose it. There was a, a, an error at one time that talked about uh, that mortal sin was a very difficult thing to commit. You needed to repeat habitually the same sin over and over again and make your fundamental option against God, and only then were you in mortal sin. And, but that doesn't really correspond with real life. In real life, one lie can rob somebody of the truth that their dignity requires. And that one lie, I've hurt someone in a way that only God can heal, that my own power is irreparable. By one lie, 
by not giving somebody the truth that they deserve, I've rooted myself in something that is not God. And insofar as I chose to do that freely and understood what I was doing when I did it, that decision to root myself into something other than God is a mortal sin. I've rooted myself in death. The Ten Commandments reveal to us what grave matter is, and Jesus extends it. Whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoever says a harsh or evil word against his brother has murdered his brother. These movements that treat the image and likeness of God around us as a means to an end, as a means to my self-gratification, as a means to my need for security or success or power or influence, I subordinate people and things that belong to people, or I subordinate even worse God and the things that belong to God to my purposes uh, without reference to his love. I have chosen to root myself in something other than God's love. And the only thing I can produce in this world is something that stinks. And Teresa of Avila is saying, our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want us to suffer this. He doesn't want our lives to stink. He has not come here to shame us and to guilt trip us and to make us feel bad about ourselves. He wants to free us from that. He wants to uproot us out of the putrid water of our selfishness and our pride. He wants to root us back into living water so that instead of filthy, pitch black, ugly fruit, we produce something that is beautiful, beautiful to God, but beautiful to everyone we love. And so this is the great battle. This is why we need to confront sin in our lives, go to confession frequently. It's not that when we go to frequent confession, it's not that we always have mortal sin that we've committed. In fact, may God grant that anybody who's listening to this be free of mortal sin even now. But I found in my own life that if I'm going to frequent confession about small things, things that aren't yet mortal sin, it gives, by exposing them to the light of day, they never go in that direction either. By keeping myself humble, by taking responsibility for my actions and doing penance, frequent penance, it protects me from the illusions and delusions of the evil one who would have me root my being in something that's unwholesome. So to go back to your question then, mortal sin is the free-willed decision made with understanding involving a grave matter to root ourselves instead of in the love of God, to root ourselves in anything else. And anything else that we root ourselves in that we try to draw our life from is always going to produce bad fruit. And when we do that, the only way for us to be planted where we can give life again and have life for ourselves, the only way is through the blood of Jesus. Teresa says, O souls redeemed by the blood of Jesus, learn to understand yourselves and take pity on yourselves. Surely you understand your own natures. It is impossible that you will not strive to remove the pitch which blackens the crystal. Remember, if your life were to end now, you would never enjoy that light again. O oh, Jesus, how sad it is to see a soul deprived of it. What a state 
the poor rooms of the castle are in, how distracted the senses are which inhabit them, and the faculties which are their governors, butlers, and stewards, how blind they are and how ill-controlled. And yet, after all, what kind of fruit can one expect to be born by a tree rooted in the devil? Jesus has redeemed us from this. We don't have to live like this. We can be fruitful. Let him uproot us and plant us back in his love. And that's why we go to confession. That's why we do penance. Well, I think you brought up a, such an extraordinary point in all this, Anthony. And if if I could offer just a, a little something that I've come to learn from this as well, that, you know, just to exemplify your point, there was a moment, I would say, early in my conversion, turning, turning towards Jesus, where I was beginning to grow in prayer. And as Teresa said, you, you could come to see him as a friend, Jesus as a friend. And I was going frequenting confession, and, and I was offering what I felt was truly what I was supposed to bring forward. And there was a time in that prayer, and I happened to be on a pilgrimage, but in that prayer, I came to see that there was a sin, something very, very dark inside of me that I hadn't lifted up yet. That voice, the voice of Christ, I believe, helping me to see this. It wasn't that he was accusing me, but he was helping me to see that it was a block. I was contracepting. Mm. And I realized, I was sensing the children I had lost because of, back in those days, it was a pretty high a dose that mm. was contained in the birth control pill. And I felt contrition. I felt regret. I felt all these different things, but I didn't feel accused. Once that came forward, and then I had the understanding that you spoke of before, because I didn't understand what I was doing. I'd even gone to church leaders and, and gone to confession, and they would say, oh, it's okay. At that time, I don't necessarily go to confessors anymore that would say that. Mm. But I'm not trying to highlight this particular sin for me. Okay, I'm saying it's for me. I, I don't know where other people are at in their lives, okay? Mm. But for me, I became aware. Now, the church would teach that, that there wasn't factors there wasn't anything medical or anything else going on. I, We just chose to do this. Mm. And I realized what a block it was. And I brought it forward. And then my relationship with Christ grew even deeper. But I didn't realize it. You know, well, does that make sense? I mean, is that uh, an appropriate it, example? It does. I, I've heard uh, this story repeated. I, I think uh, Scott and Kimberly Hahn also tell a very similar story in their own life, their journey of faith. And, and I've known many other couples that they didn't even know there was a block there right? Uh, when they were contracepting. If you think about that, what is contracepting, but you know, chemically or in some other way, you're creating a block, uh, but you didn't, even, you didn't even know it was there. And then when the block is removed, it's kind of, it's all of a sudden there's an outpouring of grace in your life. Mm -hmm. And you probably noticed two things at once. Like there's the initial thing when all of a sudden something that you didn't quite know was as serious as it was, all of, it's unveiled to you and you're kind of like in shock at first. Like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, 
you know, and, and first you want to deny, oh, that can't be true. But maybe there might be people listening right now or, who, who are dealing with a similar kind of shock right now. They're thinking that, that can't quite be true. That it can't be that bad, is it? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, whatever the sin is, we all have, uh, we all struggle with sin. We, we all have this happen to us. When we go to renounce it, we don't realize how sick we are. And Jesus only wants us to know that we're sick because until we know we're sick, we can't be healed. Until we know that we're dead, he can't bring us back to life. And so if Jesus right now has unveiled something to you in your shock or maybe disbelief and, and maybe you're, you're even in denial right now, ask Jesus, Teresa of Avila says, ask Jesus for fear of not offending him. Just ask him right now, uh, uh, Lord, I, I'm in shock about this. I'm not sure about this. I'm confused about it. Please, please, please give me the grace of, of fear not to offend you. And the reason why isn't because God is an angry God who wants to beat you up and make you feel bad. This, that's not where God's at at all. God loves you. The Father yearns for you. And there's a block in your life. And, and he's begging. he's begging you right now, let me take this from you. You, I want to fill you with a life so beautiful and so resplendent and, and so rich and so meaningful. And this thing is blocking me. Will you let me take this from you? And if you ask him, you say, Lord, give me the fear of offending you. I don't want to offend you, but apparently emotionally, I'm not dealing with this the way I should be. Emotionally, I'm thinking this is okay. And, and I'm not sure that maybe it is okay. So would you give me the fear the proper fear, a fear that's rooted in love. This is a, a, a powerful thing to think about. People disagree with me about this, but when you really, really love someone, when you really want them in your life, when you have a good friend, there's a kind of reverence and respect that you carry in the re- relationship. You're careful about how you conduct yourself, what you say and what you don't say. The care isn't because you distrust them. The care is you want them to see the very best of who you are because you want them to know that you love them. Fear of offending God operates in that same way. You're not trying to win God's favor by not offending him anymore. But what you are trying to do is prevent in your life anything that would block his love in your life, anything that you might accidentally do that would put a barrier between you and him. He's not hurt by the barrier. It doesn't diminish him at all. But any barriers we put up, any limits we put up before the Lord, it hurts us. Like a a, a good friend, uh, like a father, uh, like a spouse, he would rather that that block not be there so that we could know the fullness of his love. Fear of not offending him is a grace that you can ask for in prayer that helps him remove those blocks from your life. The second thing she talks about is the mirror of humility. And when you're telling your story, Chris, this is the other thing, you know, that kind of shock when you all of a sudden realize this is going on and this isn't pleasing to God. You all of a sudden become aware of your true place before God. Until this happens, until our sin is unveiled to us, we kind of think we have a standing before him that's maybe a little bit too cavalier, Mm -hmm. and we're not careful. 
We don't see the truth of who we are. And so we're not disposed to receive his presence in a delicate, tender way. His, his presence, very delicate, very tender. And by delicate, I don't mean it's fragile. But by delicate, there's a lot of power there. But great power, the more powerful something is, the, the more precise it can move in our hearts and in our lives. And he wants to move in our hearts and lives delicately. But when we don't have humility, we're kind of like brutes in front of him. There's a, a roughness, a cavalierness, a, a lack of refinement that doesn't allow him to manifest to us the delicacy of his love in a way that will build us up the way he yearns for us to be built up. This mirror of humility, she calls it, and this fear of offending Lord, these two things, when they're unleashed in our soul before, uh, as we recognize sin, allow us to put spiritual distance between us and our sin. We're not attached to that sin anymore because we want something more, something more beautiful than, than that sin was giving us. We want God himself. These two things, humility and fear of offending the Lord, help us root ourselves or help God root us in his love. We'll continue this conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis on Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle, First Mansions, in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.